Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. Hope you enjoyed another spring training victory for the Marlins yesterday, this time over the Mets 6-1. to But the most important, or at least most exciting part of that game, I think, was the solo shot by Garrett Cooper off of Noah Syndergaard on an 0-2, 97-mile-per-hour fastball. He took it the other way and just put it over the right field wall. So great to see Cooper comfortable and healthy out there. Looks like he could be sliding into right field, but Joe Frisaro reported yesterday that it's still an open competition, and Matt Joyce might even have the edge right now, which is interesting to me, so we'll see how that goes moving forward. Maybe they'll make it a platoon, but for now, it seems like Garrett Cooper is the option. I think you know what you're getting with Matt Joyce. He did have a really good year last year. Uh, When he did play, he didn't play a full season, neither did Cooper, but Cooper hasn't played a full season in the bigs yet, hasn't really showed us what he can do. Matt Joyce, I don't think, with a full season could match the numbers that Garrett Cooper is capable of, but they could be an interesting platoon. We'll see what they end up doing moving forward, but it's nice that the Marlins have options, and regardless, Matt Joyce will be a very good fourth outfielder, spot starter, and left-handed bat off the bench. But this episode is going to be a continuation of the Prospect Preview Series, this time with prospects number 13 and 12, Connor Scott and Jose Devers. I've been looking at a lot of Connor Scott videos the last few days, looking at the differences in the adjustments that he's made in his swing and his stance, going back from his pro debut, even high school, but his pro debut, and then last season. He made some tangible adjustments that you love to see from a young hitter, especially just after a struggling in his first season, then bouncing back. He didn't completely put up the numbers that we would love to see, but you could definitely see an improvement, which is all that really matters at this point, being that he's hardly 20 years old. So what adjustments did Connor Scott make? Well, you look at his first season, and he was clearly overmatched, which is not surprising when you take a player from high school and put him straight into A-ball. And what happens when you're overmatched sometimes? He was pulling off of it, kind of cheating. His front side was pulling off. And what happens when your front side pulls off is the bat drags. And when the bat drags through the zone, you're not going to have much power. You're not going to use your legs much. He had a pretty narrow stance. So it was almost like he was just standing up and swinging with his arms. And when you leak out that front side... You're not going to stay on the breaking ball. Against lefties, you're going to have even more trouble. You'll hear a lot of even major league hitters talk about the lefty-lefty matchups, the tough ones against the good southpaws, how the struggle can often be keeping that front side on the ball and not pulling off of it, especially on those good breaking balls. So when you look at Scott, he hit just 206 in his first year against Southpaws. He also only pulled 30% of batted balls. So those are two things that would indicate the fact that he is pulling off the ball and the bat is dragging. And you could see it through many of the videos from that 2018 season. So what does he do in 2019? His pull percentage jumps to 44%. That's 14% more from 2018. And unsurprisingly, the power numbers jump as well. He's able to get the head of the bat out more. And he hits only three doubles in 2018, jumps to 24 in 2019. He did play more games in 2019 in A-ball, 95 
But 50 games in 2018, only three doubles, 95 games last season, and has 24 doubles, four home runs versus one home run. Clearly, the power had improved, and his average against Southpaws jumped from 206 to 246, which is a huge improvement there as well. And it's all signs of him getting more into his legs, which you can see through the videos as well, a wider stance, staying on the ball more, a much more powerful swing through the zone. And it was just pretty much night and day if you look at it. And there's just a lot to be said for a young hitter that's able to make those adjustments, especially in A-ball and then going into the Florida State League. And there's no fluke that towards the last 34 games of his stint in low A that he was on fire, hitting over 300, hitting for a good average, but hitting for some power as well, and having just a comfortable approach at the plate. Still want to see him tap into that power a little bit more. I think that'll come when he builds some more strength and gets more filled out in that body because a lot of scouts and the Marlins have said he has plus raw power. It's just going to take some time for him to tap into it. So let's hope that he can do that. And the speed too. He runs a little weird <laughs> to be honest. It's a, it's a funky running style, but he does have plus speed. It doesn't look like it with the way he runs, but he, he does have the ability to run well above average, if not plus plus. So that is another thing that he needs to tap into a little bit more because he was not stealing bases quite at the clip that you would like to see from a speedster. For now, especially if he does not totally tap into that power, he profiles as a center fielder. He's got the glove out there. He has a great arm as well. Uh, Was a pitcher in high school, could run it up to 92 miles per hour. So he's got a well above average arm in the outfield. So if you did need to play him in the corners, you could. But it's obviously more valuable to have an outfielder that can play center field because the adjustment to the corners is much easier. So with Connor Scott, it's going to be a really important year for him this year to see what direction he's going. You don't want to see him have that type of Mickey Moniac track where you think he's starting to figure it out and then he just hits a wall. Where Moniac hasn't been terrible, but he's just been this mediocre guy that you were hoping would hit that adjustment that it was a learning curve coming straight from high school but for the Phillies Moniac has seemed to just be a bust so far um, but he's going to probably hit well enough to eventually get a call up I'm not comparing Scott and Moniac at all it's just that's the fear sometimes when you keep holding out for a high schooler to figure it out I think the most important thing though is that you saw these adjustments you saw the pull percentage jump by 14%. You saw the physical adjustments, which were refreshing and showed a lot more power and gives me more confidence in Connor Scott this coming year. And even in his little stint in the Florida State League, which I think sets him up perfectly for this season to get 27 games down there, get his feet wet so he'll be more comfortable for his full season. Uh, He looked okay. He didn't quite put the numbers up that he was putting up in low A when he got hot, but The Florida State League, as I'll say time and time again, is one of the hardest leagues to hit in. His BAVIP dropped a little bit, so he was a little bit less lucky down there too. But the strikeout rate hardly jumped, which is very encouraging in a league like that. The strikeouts have never totally been a problem for him. He's always kept it around 22 to 23%. You figure it's only going to improve, but even if it doesn't, that's not a huge concern for Connor Scott. So that's one of the more encouraging things as well. And he walks at a pretty good clip too. He has a pretty mature approach. 
He walked 7.5% of the time last year in low A and then jumped up to 10% of the time in high A. So he definitely was comfortable enough in the Florida State League. Hit just 235, but the fact that he wasn't striking out a ridiculous amount and that he was walking is a good sign for a guy that's going to be much more comfortable this coming season. The only two stolen bases in 27 games, you'd like to see some more. Uh, he did have the 21 in low A, but I, I don't really like to look at low A stolen base numbers with most catchers are not going to be as good as Will Banfield behind the dish. So the only two in 27 games is a little bit more indicative of the base running steps he needs to make and the strides he needs to make, but he'll get comfortable there and, and he'll start to feel out you know, how big of a lead he can take, what kind of jumps he can get off of these more advanced pitchers. So we will see what he can do this coming season. But the 90 WRC plus in the Florida State League in 27 games really isn't that bad for, I, I think he was 19 at the time, so much younger than his average competition. So Connor Scott has a big opportunity to break out. I've talked about it in the other podcasts, and this is a candidate to shoot up into maybe top 100 list because he has the pedigree as a 13th overall pick. He's just kind of disappeared for a little bit because of his mediocre numbers through his first two seasons. But at the end of the day, he he's hardly played. He hasn't even played 200 games in the minor leagues yet. So this is a player that's still very inexperienced and only can go up from here. Excited to see what he can do this year. My bold prediction is that he shoots up in the prospect rankings, and I think by the end of the year, he could be on a couple top 100 lists with the tools that he has and his ability to be potentially a five-tool player out there. Excited to see Connor Scott in 2020. On the other side of the break, I will have a preview on Jose Devers, number 12 on the top 30 list. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So now Jose Devers, probably one of the more devastating injuries for me last year because of how well he was hitting and just how exciting he is as a player, was really excited to see how much he could continue to improve last season and show his incredible hit tool. Unfortunately, he was shut down once with some shoulder soreness and then shut down again with a forearm issue. But it seems like that's not a big concern for the Marlins. Scouts have said that those injuries don't really worry them either. And he's a shortstop who has a plus arm. So 
I think I'm still a little concerned if those injuries linger, but apparently he is comfortable and ready to go, so I will trust the Marlins and the scouts on that one. Uh, but looking at his 33 games in the Florida State League, he hit 325 with a 126 WRC+, an on-base percentage of 384. It's an elite hit tool for a young player. was just 19 years old when he was playing in the Florida State League, and that's about three and a half years on average younger than his competition. And to put up a 325 batting average is really impressive. And I don't think it's a fluke because of how strong his bat-to-ball skills are. The bat stays through the zone really well for a long time. And it's no fluke that he makes so much contact. So against high-end pitching, does not strike out much, only a 14% K rate. But, of course, the elephant in the room is that lack of power from Jose Devers. Will that always be an issue, or is it just because he's just turned 20 years old and he's only six foot, 155 pounds? There is definitely more power for Jose Devers than four extra base hits in those 33 games, but can he really get to that gap-to-gap power, which can justify him being a shortstop? Today's game... You don't have to have power to be a shortstop, but when you look at most of the successful shortstops in the bigs right now, they can hit for some power. Devers is never going to be able to do that, but when you have players like Lindor, even look at Jazz Chisholm, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, just to name a few, they all hit for some power. In today's game, that's typically the profile you see from a shortstop. Does that mean you can't be a successful shortstop in today's game without hitting for power? Of course not. It's just he's a little bit more traditional is Jose Devers in terms of what the typical shortstop is. That's more what it was back in the 80s and 90s, but that doesn't mean Devers can't be successful. I see a little bit of a Jose Iglesias comp for Jose Devers with a slightly better hit tool and maybe even a slightly better glove. But in terms of his production, Iglesias has had seasons where he hits around 300, not much power, but is able to get on base at a good clip and play some solid defense. That wouldn't be a bad scenario for the Marlins. It'll be interesting, especially with Jazz Chisholm now as the Marlins' premier shortstop prospect. And then you have Jose Salas coming up through the system as well what the Marlins are going to end up doing in the future if all of these shortstops, which is very rare, it's a very volatile position, end up panning out. But for now, if Jose Devers becomes Jose Iglesias, that that's a big win, in my opinion, as just a throw-in young guy that had barely played pro ball in uh, the Yankees trade with for Giancarlo Stanton. So that is going to be a nice development to see. But if Devers' hit tool is as good as it appears to be, he could end up hitting for such a high average that the power doesn't matter. I mean, the fact that the WRC+, plus, though it was just 33 games, was still so high despite his lack of power at 126 as the WRC plus was, that shows how valuable he can be just as a bat-to-ball guy in the lineup. So if he's able to consistently hit, which is a really lofty goal, but 300, 310 uh, in the bigs, then the power is not an issue. It becomes an issue when he's hitting 270, 280, and the slugging percentages at 320, 330, that's not what you want to see because he's really going to struggle to 
produce runs in the big leagues if that's the case, but there's no reason to think that will be the case right now, especially with the potential with his hit tool that he has shown. But just the 33 games leaves you just wanting more. I was just hoping so badly that Devers could come back so we could see what he was capable of to see if that 325 clip was a flash in the pan. I don't think it's a flash in the pan, so it's going to be exciting to see what he can do now in a full season too. This Florida State League team is going to be very, very interesting with the outfield potentially featuring J.J. Bleday, Connor Scott, Gerard Encarnacion, or even Peyton Burdick. That's a lot of exciting bats for the Marlins. And then at shortstop, you can have Jose Devers there. And then it's going to be fascinating which pitchers are going to be there and if Will Banfield can hit his way up to high, high A ball as well. But to wrap things up on Devers, the glove looks really good too. Really quick hands, very rangy at short, which you love to see. And that's something that will keep him there. He's not a concern whatsoever to stay at shortstop. The plus arm for his size really is encouraging as well because you'd probably assume that a lot of scouts and coaches in the past saw Jose Devers and his size and were ready to stick him at second base. But with his ability, his above average arm, and he's able to get to those balls in the hole both ways. He's good to his left and his right. And as long as his arm is healthy, as we talked about earlier with some of the issues that he had with his forearm and his shoulder, he is going to be a well above average shortstop in the major leagues. The question is just really the power and whether he can sustain the hit tool at the next level. So that's going to be what we have to watch. Hopefully he put on some weight this year. You know, six foot 155, there's still some more room to fill out. So that's the hope for the Marlins is that Devers can put on a little bit more weight and produce a little bit more strength. That would probably help him with his arm issues as well. And with his brother turning into one of the best young hitters in the game, Rafael, with the Red Sox right now, it leaves you just to hope a little bit that Jose has that ability in him, maybe not to be one of the best hitters in the game, but to be a major leaguer and be an impact major leaguer. So big year for Jose as well. Two players in their 20-year-old season are Connor Scott and Jose Devers with an opportunity to make a big leap in their professional careers. Hope you enjoyed this prospect preview series with now 13 and 12. We are getting closer to the top 10. 10 and 11 will come up next and then right inside to the top one through nine as we head to the end of this prospect preview series. It's been fun for me. I'm excited to get to those blue chippers at the top of the list. Thank you for listening as always and enjoy the spring training game later today and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.